0: Hello, friends. Alan Kirshner here from Eschatos Ministries. Since we went live with Bible Prophecy Daily, we have delivered a program every weekday to listeners. With a premillennial, pre wrath, rapture focus, our Bible teachers are the best at helping Christians understand and prepare for Christ's return. Would you prayerfully consider your regular support of this ministry? You can easily do so by clicking the support button in the corner of the podcast website at BibleProphecyDaily.com. Thank you. You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. This is Bible teacher Nelson Walters and knowing who the two witnesses are and what they do unlocks mysteries from the book of Revelation. Now in the book, the book of Revelation, there are two mysterious figures. God says about them, and I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. Revelation eleven three. So who are these witnesses? What do they prophesy about? When do they minister? When you understand who they are and what they're doing, the book of Revelation is just going to come alive and we can understand better what God is accomplishing. After all, these are God's servants on earth prior to the return of Jesus. And if I read my Bible correctly, possibly they're there during the return of Jesus. What are they doing then? Ah, we're going to find out today. But first, we have to figure it out because it's not that easy. There is a lot of speculation in Christianity about who these representatives of God will be and what happens during their three-and-a-half-year ministry. Some say they're individuals from the Bible who come back to life. Maybe Moses, Elijah, Enoch, John the Apostle, and people combine these in all sorts of various combinations. Some say They are two Hebrew men who come in the power of two of these former Bible saints. And some say they're groups of people, maybe Jews and Christians, or maybe two of the seven churches of Revelation, etc. Now, who they are is certainly interesting and it gets a lot of press. But what they do is much more interesting and much more important. But everyone in the prophetic world just seems to stall out on the argument of who they are. So I have a suggestion today. We are going to tell you who we think they might be, but don't concentrate on the who part. Concentrate on what they do, the what part. God didn't find it necessary to tell us who they are, right? He left it a bit of a mystery. If who they were was critically important, don't you think God would have told us directly? So let's see what the Bible The only one true source of information on this subject says about these special individuals. First of all, this verse says three things. They're witnesses, they're given power, and they're clothed in sackcloth. Let's look at that part first. What is sackcloth? Because it is a sign of what the attitude of these witnesses is and what their purpose is. It might be one of the most important parts of this prophecy— It almost never gets talked about. It always just gets passed by, but we're not passing it by today. What is sackcloth? It's a coarsely woven, very uncomfortable fabric, usually made of black goat's hair, worn as a sign of mourning. Okay, mourning for what? Well, what just happened to Israel when the witnesses begin to witness? Huh. They were invaded by the Antichrist. Zechariah 13.8 says two-thirds of the people of Israel are going to die in that war. That's worth a lot of mourning. These are prophets also, and prophets wore sackcloth in ancient Israel to mourn sin and call people back to repentance. That is also exactly what these witnesses are doing. So they're wearing something that's indicative of what they're doing. They're opposing the Antichrist and calling others out of his kingdom and to repentance and mourning their fallen brothers and sisters. Second, God calls them his witnesses. I will give power to my witnesses. So we should figure out what the Bible means when it calls someone a witness. In the Greek New Testament, this word is martus. And in the Hebrew Old Testament, it's eyed. In both cases, it means someone who saw or heard something and who gives a testimony about what they saw or heard. We use this meaning in our legal system today. So what did they see or hear? What does the Bible say? One meaning is exactly the same as the legal one. They witness a crime. Deuteronomy 17:6. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a man shall be put to death, but he shall not be executed on the testimony of a lone witness. So in the end times, they are God's witnesses to the world being worthy of judgment. This is a meaning that almost everyone misses, but it's a super important aspect of what these witnesses are doing. They witness against the Antichrist, and against those in his kingdom. And they will justify the judgment of God that he's going to bring on the wicked when Jesus returns. So they're the witnesses in the courtroom scene. And as witnesses, they may be the ones that certify the correct timing of the return of Jesus as well. Yeah, you heard me right, that they may certify Jesus's timing for his return. In the first century, declaring a new moon was both a legalistic and a festive type of event. The new moon marked the beginning of the new year on Yom Terorah. We call it today the Feast of Trumpets. This is a key because it's very likely that Jesus returns on a future Yom Terorah. Back in the first century, the Sanhedrin or Jewish rulers would search for legal witnesses who could testify to the fact that they had just seen the crescent of the new moon at least two witnesses were needed as per deuteronomy 19:15 along with the high priest if the witnesses were reliable and accurate a declaration was made after the sanhedrin had declared the new moon had officially arrived bonfires would be set on the top of mountains as signals to the people outside of Jerusalem so that everybody would know the correct time to celebrate had come. And on the Feast of Trumpets, what else did they do? They blew the trumpets, the shofar. In the end times, will the two witnesses of Revelation be those reliable witnesses who cite the coming of the new crescent moon? Yom Torah, and thus certify the return of Jesus. Well, maybe it's interesting they're called witnesses. The third aspect of this is their most important function, to witness that God is real and that Jesus is the Son of God risen from the dead. If they are witnessing to what they've seen and heard, to us, this seems to indicate they might have been eyewitnesses to something. This is the reason that many, if not most, scholars believe they are Bible characters come back to life, or at least back to the earth. The top candidates are Elijah, Moses, Enoch, and the Apostle John, as we said, who wrote Revelation. Let's see what each one of them witnessed. Both Moses and Elijah spoke to God directly on Mount Sinai. Moses, when he received the Ten Commandments, and Elijah when he ran from Jezebel. Both of them also spoke to Jesus directly at the transfiguration, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. So both of these men are eyewitnesses or ear witnesses to God the Father and Jesus. Now John certainly was an eyewitness of Jesus. He had two and a half years of ministry directly with Jesus and saw heaven in this revelation vision. Enoch had no contact with Jesus, so in my mind, that makes Enoch the least likely of these four. And if this is an important part of their witness, it should all but eliminate modern Hebrew men or groups of people like Christians and Jews. Let's keep that in mind as we keep working through this. The third thing we learn from God's statement about the two witnesses is that God gives them power or as some translations call it authority, how do they use it? I also think it's interesting that Satan has his two witnesses, the Antichrist and the false prophet, and they are in opposition to those who are God's witnesses. So it's kind of two witnesses against two witnesses, two good ones against two bad ones. So a big part of what the good witnesses are going to do is oppose the first beast and the second beast. Remember, that Satan empowers his beasts with the ability to do miracles that could deceive the elect if that were possible. Matthew 24, 24. Well, God gives his two witnesses power too to show that the Antichrist is really just a sham. The Antichrist is going to sit in the temple of God and proclaim himself to be God. Now, nearly every culture believes it is their God that causes rain to fall and crops to grow and flourish you know, and, and sustain people, nourish people. This is what they'd expect from a God like the Antichrist. But one of the very first things the two witnesses do is frustrate the Antichrist's efforts on doing something like this because they have the power to shut up the sky so that rain does not fall during the days that they're prophesying. Revelation eleven six, The Antichrist tramples Jerusalem for three and a half years and for all those months he can't make it rain. Famine strikes everywhere. Just imagine the Antichrist frustration. This is the same type of stopping of rain that Elijah prayed for against his nemesis, Ahab and Jezebel. Jesus tells us in Luke 4.25 that the shutting up of the sky in those days was the exact same length of time, three years, six months. Perfect parallel between Elijah then the two witnesses in the future. Now, this embarrassment of impotence in the face of God's judgments is the same situation too that Pharaoh found himself in in the time of the Exodus. He was considered a son of the gods and was in charge of the Nile River in Egyptian culture. When Moses turned it to blood, Egyptians looked to Pharaoh for help, but he wasn't able to do a thing. Turning water to blood is something else the witnesses are going to do very similar to what Moses did. We're also told about these witnesses that they have power to strike the earth with every plague so often as they desire. So just like the rest of the Egyptian plagues we used to defeat the gods of Egypt, God said against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord, Exodus twelve twelve. It appears God will use these same type of plagues to defeat the end time fallen angels the Antichrist, and the false prophet. I imagine you noticed the two witnesses accomplished the same type of God-empowered plagues in the end times as Moses and Elijah did. Does that mean the two witnesses are Moses and Elijah? Well, it certainly implies they will act like Elijah and Moses in challenging the Antichrist's empire, just as Pharaoh was challenged, but they're not going to do it alone. The passage in Revelation goes on to explain, These are the two olive trees and but two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. Revelation 11.4 This statement is a quote of a prophecy God gave the prophet Zechariah to show that God accomplishes things through the power of his Spirit. Zechariah 4.2-10 Where the two olive trees pour oil into a lampstand, which is better thought of as a menorah. It's not just a single lamp on a stand. It's actually a seven-branched menorah. And we know the seven churches of Revelation are also described as lampstands in Revelation 2 and 3. So in the same way, the witnesses will pour prophecy and Holy Spirit knowledge into the churches still existing at the time of their ministry. So the witnesses will be leaders of the movement to resist the Antichrist and witness against him. This is another major task that they're going to accomplish. Remember, we told you what they do is so much more important than who they are. And notice it says, they stand before the God of the earth. This gets glossed over like it just means they worship God. I think it means what it says, that they stand before Jesus when he stands on the earth when does this happen they are likely the ones seeing the new moon on the feast of trumpets and they are right there to greet the lord upon his return at least that's how i read this passage which may seem strange to you so let's look at when they minister so you can see how that might fit in to jesus's return they minister for 1260 days according to the passage we read at the beginning of this teaching and That could either be the first half of Daniel's 70th week or the second half. Both are possible. But I think the second half is more likely. The account of their ministry in Revelation is found between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. So this implies they minister when in between those two um, trumpets, at least for a portion of it, which would put it in the second half. Revelation 11.2 mentions that the Gentiles are going to trample Jerusalem for 42 months or three and a half years, the last three and a half years. And immediately after that verse, the time of the witnesses is mentioned as a similar three and a half years, but it's given as 1260 days. So this also implies that they're ministering when the Gentiles are trampling Jerusalem or in the second half of the tribulation as well. This would mean that they're going to be present for the second coming after the sixth seal and will likely be there to greet Jesus upon his coming and stand before the Lord of the earth, just like it says in Revelation. They also then would be with Jesus for most of the trumpet judgments as these are poured out on the earth and would see him ascend back into heaven to be crowned at the seventh trumpet. And you say, wait, whoa, What did you just say? Did you say Jesus ascends a second time? Uh, Yeah, that's what we said. It's what the Bible says too. Jesus ascends at the seventh trumpet. Yes, this is a little understood concept. We understand that. But if you read Daniel 7, 13 through 14, you see Jesus ascending on the clouds, not descending. Let's look at that passage. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Notice, Jesus came up to, up to the father. This is an ascent, not a descent back to the earth. And to him was given dominion, honor, and a kingdom so that all peoples, nations, and populations and languages might serve him. So Jesus is taking his great power and beginning to reign at that moment. It's the seventh trumpet. That's what happens at the seventh trumpet. So Jesus ascends from the earth to heaven at the seventh trumpet to be crowned King of Kings by the Father in heaven. So he descends to the earth in the second coming after the sixth seal, spends time on the earth, and then ascends back to heaven at the seventh trumpet. And this may explain the death of the witnesses. Like Elijah, they have power to kill anyone who tries to harm them. You read about Elijah in 2 Kings 1, 9-12, by the way. But the two witnesses in the Revelation do it by breathing fire. Elijah, in the Old Testament, called down fire from heaven. But at the end of the two witnesses' ministry, the beast kills them. Does this happen during the time that Jesus is in heaven being crowned king. Wouldn't that be interesting? So we're going to do a little analysis here and consider when that 1260 days of the two witnesses might fit into scripture. So let's just suppose that the Antichrist enters Jerusalem to invade it on Nisan 10 of the fourth year of the 70th week of Daniel which is Lamb Selection Day, by the way, so it would be very appropriate for him to want to be selected as Messiah on that day. And if the two witnesses begin their ministry on that same day, 1260 days later would be Elul 29 of the final year, their ministry being completed upon Jesus' ascension to heaven to be crowned King of Kings. The next day is Yom Terurah the day of the crowning of the kings in Israel, and probably the day of the seventh trumpet. But after Jesus ascends, and he's gone from the earth on that day, a little 29 of the final year, does the Antichrist see his chance and kill the witnesses while Jesus is back in heaven? It's a theory. It's only a theory. But it works time-wise. So it's one we're considering And here's what the Bible says about that event when the Antichrist kills them, because that part we know for sure. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Those from the peoples, tribes, languages, and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not allow their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who live on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate and will send gifts to one another because these two prophets, and I want you to notice, this is important. Notice the Bible calls them prophets. This eliminates the idea that they could be groups of people and implies that they have to be individuals. Continue. So these two prophets tormented those who lived on the earth, Revelation eleven seven seven through 10. So the witnesses will be hated in the end because the world is corrupt. Biblical prophecies show the whole earth will become corrupt prior to the return of Christ, 2 Timothy 3, 13. And this will be the environment in which the two witnesses will minister. As we read at the sixth trumpet, Despite the plagues, the unrepentant still don't repent. And thus, like the Antichrist, they hate the witnesses. And they're going to rejoice over their deaths. But that rejoicing will be short-lived. And after three and a half days, God will resurrect them from the dead. And their enemies will see them ascend into heaven to join Jesus, where they prepare to be part of the armies of heaven that return with the Lord. So the question you've been waiting for, who are these two witnesses? What's our opinion? Are they Moses and Elijah come back to the earth as they did at the transfiguration and stand with Jesus? Some think Moses can't come back because he's already died once. He can't die again as one of the two witnesses. You know, it's appointed to man to die once and then the judgment. But I want you to think about something. There are actually dozens of people who died twice in the Bible, like Lazarus, who was raised back to life and then died again. So that's not what the verse in Hebrews means. It's not impossible for someone to die a second time. It's just not the usual thing that happens. Another potential choice is that two Hebrew men come in the power and spirit of Elijah and Moses, much as John the Baptist did. And we read about that in Luke 1:16 through 17. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, there it is, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This passage shows that God can and has sent additional representatives, such as John, with a similar ministry and power as the prophet Elijah. Or he could send the originals. Remember, we fought a Originals have a better chance because they were actual eyewitnesses. Two Hebrew men would not have been eyewitnesses to Jesus or to God the Father. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode.